Boot Works, Theatre, Talk Shop, Bootworks Theatre Talk Shop. Welcome back to the sixth episode of Bootworks Theatre Talk Shop, a podcast hosted by me, James Baker. In this first series, I'll be talking to a whole host of interesting children's theatre makers who, in their own way, offer something new, exciting and potentially challenging to the world of children's performance. This week, I'll be speaking with artist and artistic director of Force Entertainment, Tim Etchells, whose performance of The Night Follows Day I've just seen at London Southbank Centre, co-directed by Hester Chillingworth. The show includes 17 performers between the ages of 8 to 15, who offer up a near-relentless barrage of things that we as adults say and do to children. I met Tim and his cat Bob for a chat at his beautiful home near Tottenham. As a long-time fan of Tim's work, I'm pleased to say that I just about managed to contain my giddy excitement of meeting him. So here we go again. This is my conversation with Tim Etchells. Tim, thanks very much for being with me today. You're welcome. Yeah, uh, It's really lovely to meet you. Um, we're going to be talking a bit today about your show, That Night Follows Day. Uh, I wonder, just for anyone that hasn't seen it or experienced it yet, whether you could give a brief overview of what that show is. Yeah, it's um, it's a theatre performance made uh, initially with a group of uh, 16 um, young people aged between uh, 8 and 14 um, who function in the performance as a kind of chorus um, and who perform a text which is a kind of... Um, exploration of the ways in which the adult world um, and adults uh, shape the experience and the kind of understanding and the possibilities that young people have. Um, and the idea is that it's a, it's a piece performed by children, by young people, um, for an adult audience. Um, and it, it, yeah, it begins from this idea of, of cataloguing or, or describing that relationship, the relationship between the... the the adults and the adult world and that of young people. And it's not a new show, is it? This has been going for some time. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I made it originally in 2007 um, with a group of 16 um, Flemish uh, young people uh, in Ghent, in Belgium, uh, working with an organisation called Victoria, which has since re-transformed itself into Campo, um, who specialise, at least one of the things they specialise in, is, is work with young people. And especially this idea of um, artists working with young people in a way that's, um, uh, yeah, to make art uh, for, for uh, adult audiences rather than to make something for children or to, um, uh, I suppose, to, to really focus on the, on the young people. It was really a carte blanche invitation to do something in a way whatever I would like um, they would help and you know make a cast uh, with me to, to do that piece so that was 2007 that version was performed in Dutch and in a sort of surtitle translation it toured massively in 2007-8-9 had two different casts uh, over those years as kids got older um, and it kind of went everywhere it did about 80 performances internationally um and then since then it's been uh, done a little bit it's been done a couple of times by other people um one in ireland i think one in vancouver um and we've done uh 
rehearsed reading versions of it. That's Forced Entertainment and I, um, which has meant that we've uh, picked the text up, um, gone to a particular place. So we did one in Leeds, we did one in Manchester, one in Sheffield. Uh, we've done some international ones as well. And the idea is to basically spend a week with the text and a group of young people. And at the end of that week, uh, which is working on the text, workshops, uh, discussions, at the end of that week, present a kind of you know, rehearsed reading um, to uh, to an audience. Um, and that's been fun and, and really interesting. And I think as we've been doing that over the years, uh, here and there, um, we've also been thinking it'd be really nice to do a full production again. Um, and we just did this partnership with the South Bank. And one of the first things that we proposed to them was that we'd do a, a new version for London, um, a full production, which, which we just did in December. And for that, we revisited the text because by that time the text was, you know, good 10 years old. Um, and it was obvious that there certain things in it were felt dated um, in terms of you know, specific references to current affairs or, but even I think the experience of young people, especially regards sort of media and so on, has has really changed. Presumably, um, it changes dramatically in ten years. Yeah, totally. I it's mean, it's a generation, well, isn't it? I suppose. Yes, yeah, I suppose it is. I mean, certain fundamental, so um, so called fundamental things probably haven't changed, but at least the sort of patina of it has changed, and certainly the whole business of, you know, childhood and child rearing or uh, whatever that's called, looking after kids. You know, the whole question of, you know, screen time, um, how much time you're allowed to be on your devices, the whole question of policing the use of devices and what they've got access to and how you interact with other people via devices. That was not really much of a thing in 2007. Um, whereas now, obviously, it's prevalent, you know, yeah. It's a huge part of being a, a young person is what what you what you're allowed and what you're not allowed in the in the world of screens and interconnectivity. So that that featured quite high in the discussions that we were having. That was with, one of the things young people here. I was going to ask um, because it's travelled so extensively around the world. Whether the the culturally the <coughs> script has to mutate and shift according to the kids that are performing it. It does. It does. I mean, you know. It's one of those funny projects in a sense, like there's a whole bunch of projects that that um that I've done with forced entertainment or or uh, alone, which sort of work on the idea of the catalog um of statements um so you know that night follows day in some ways is a a catalog of statements about childhood um and what childhood is and what the <clears throat> The rules and the experience and the 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 boundaries of of childhood are, but you know, of course, my mission probably in in putting the text together with the young people and also as a writer was to try to make that as broad and you know deep and wide and inclusive as possible. Um, you know what you know the, the sort of fantasy would be that it. it it, it describes 
you know, the, the entire box of what, what childhood uh, might mean right now. But of course, in reality, you know, it's very Eurocentric um, or very developed world-centric and the kind of childhood that's being described is not where you get up and work in the fields from, you know, the age of six or something. You know, it's, it's, it's a particular zone of childhood, which, you know, is fairly common in the developed world, I suppose, in, in Europe and North America. It probably has nuances that are different here and there, but this perhaps is, to some degree, it's generic. Um, it has zones that are not, commonly you know not not universal it's not universal it's it's there are there's zones of comfort or discomfort or or of abuse or of of um, poverty or you know all kinds of things are there as sort of shades and and the piece tries to touch all of those but I, you know i don't doubt that it reflects my uh, you know, ability to understand childhood in a particular sort of way, mm. much as one would listen, and, and as much as you might observe of how the world is working right now, uh, one's capacity to sort of draw in everything is, you know, it's not really going to work. Um, but there is an attempt, anyway, to make it uh, broad and inclusive, and and to speak to the depth and the breadth of the category as it exists right now, the experience of young people. Um, but yes, obviously, it, it's still nonetheless within a particular sort of locale. Interestingly, we did we did rehearsed reading versions of it in uh, in Beijing, in uh, South Korea, and in Abu Dhabi. Um, and that was always very interesting because then you suddenly had you know other things that you thought were just sort of straightforward um were suddenly not straightforward i mean mm. the joke example is that um there's one line in the text where the youngest of the kids are saying that they're taught the um something like the 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 death of communism and the birth of islam um the importance of the free market as a means of distributing goods, labour and services, which is, it's a gag, but, but, it, but of course, in a way, of course, you are taught that as a child, um, effectively, um, in, in this world. And of course, in China, that was just not the case. We reversed it, you know. Yeah, it yeah. had to be the reverse. Yeah, right. um, you know, the, the, the growth of communism and the, the, pov the poverty of um, uh, uh, the free market as a means of distributing goods, labour and services. Um, so that was funny. But yes, of course, it, it shifts around. And I think it's one of those shows anyway that, that it basically makes a lot of statements, some of which, as a, as a spectator, you, you will connect to and think, that is true, that happened to me, or I see that happening all around me. Sometimes, some of which you'll think, really? No way. You know, And other things you'll think, Yes, I know that does happen, but but it's not in my experience. So in a sense, it, it, it deliberately, the way it works is it throws a big cloud of information up and it just waits for bits of it to stick to you. And probably it's as important that some bits of it you think, no, not anymore, or uh, yeah, yeah, I get that, or no, I, I refuse that one, um, or there should be more of that. I mean, that's also part of the experience of watching it is that it, 
I suppose self filter a little bit. Yeah, and also the nature of those shows that work through building a catalogue, and there's a number of the four cent shows that do it, um, is that they more or less, I think, invite you to uh, think of adding your own statements. So, what would you say? Um, and also to critique the statements that are there. So, is that true or not? Do I belong with that or mm. do, am I suspicious of that? You feed us. You dress us. You wash us. You choose clothes for us. You read to us. You sing to us. You wash us when we are sleeping. Because some people have described... Um, that night follows day as uh, almost an affront on the audience that it's uh, in some moments an attack on the way that we like you mm. say shape the experience of children mm. through language the things we tell them with things we don't tell them yeah uh, and that militaristic way that they're stood in a line at the front of the stage initially i think speaking in immaculate unison yeah it's quite um it is quite visceral it yeah. does land doesn't it yeah 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 yeah, I mean, I think it it, it 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 tries to balance a lot of things. I mean, I think it it, it tries to to have that confrontational thing, and it certainly as formally in terms of the performance, like they they in the beginning, the idea was like the the school the 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 very well disciplined school photograph or right, the yeah, choir, yeah. you know. It's like everybody's standing in a line, everybody's speaking in unison, and this is how it is. And that's in a way using that way that children are... Yeah, it may as well have been all things bright and beautiful. Yes, are regimented by by the institutional sort of apparatus of schools and other things to behave and to appear in a certain way, but also to take that and use it in a way against the audience... uh, because they're there and they're sort of telling you like it is. There's something of the schematic diagram uh, in in the piece, I think. The idea is to sort of dismantle the childhood uh, in a rather higgledy-piggledy way, but nonetheless to sort of dismantle it, lay all the parts out, and sort of say, this is what you're doing, right? You do understand that that's what you're doing to the audience. And then from that sort of formal proposition, which is the line and the chorus, it kind of decays. I mean, structurally... That they start to talk about more and more problematic things. People are, instead of speaking in unison, they're sort of popping up with random opinions about this, that and the other. It becomes a sort of little war, almost in the group itself of the, you know, 17 in the London version, young people on the stage, uh, some who want to talk about conflict with parents or uh, talk about tricky topics or talk about betrayal or talk about abuse of power um, and other kids who are just happy to say you know you give us stickers and gold stars for good behavior you know like it's, it's all fine mm. um, but it you know it's it's a sort of you know the dramaturgy of it is in in one sense in in the way in which it either is picking a fight with the audience or it's making peace with them but it does try to do both and it, it you know it's not I hope it's not entirely asinine and and also not uh, entirely focused on uh, the idea that, that 
children are in a you know an abusive machinery, mm. um, which they are in a way. I mean, you know, but it, I think it's it's how do you negotiate all of the different aspects of what that that relation is. You within that abusive machinery or if you deem the machinery within which they are in abusive mm. they've got mechanisms to cope with and <coughs> challenge and disrupt and you know children have agency whether yeah. people think they do or not yeah yeah so they're not bereft of the, the reason i was asking you about um the cultural shifts around mm. the world and whether things have to change is that i think we take a um if there is a eurocentricism to it I'm, the more I read, the more I sort of appreciate that there isn't a European sensibility in the way that we look. For instance, the age of sexual consent in Europe mm. ranges vastly. Mm. And the UK has one of the highest ages of sexual consent, but one of the lowest ages in terms of uh, convicting young people for crimes. Mm-hmm. I think you have to be 10 and above to be deemed as culpable, legally culpable for your actions. Mm-hmm. So... There's a weird, I find the UK particularly, there's this strange schism between um, acknowledging that children have the, um, the right to be incarcerated or disciplined on some level, yeah. but don't have the right until they're 16 to consensually have sex with one another. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a strange paradox in that, mm. that that would shift from country to country. Yes, yeah. But I think we do think of, you know, you think of, Belgian kids being similar to English kids or mm-hmm. Norwegian kids or whatever. Um, and maybe it's more um, apparent when you go to East Asian cultures mm-hmm. and work with Korean children or Chinese children or, yeah. or whatever. Um, but yeah, the, the, I'm sure there are universalities about the way people rear children and their desire to both um, protect them and educate them. Yes, yeah. And, and yeah, protect, educate control keep them out of the way uh uh and and make them in, and socialize them in particular ways that are you know tolerable <laughs> tolerable and 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 you know useful with all of the positive and negative implications of of that i suppose you wonder if we started drinking you wonder if we started to take drugs you wonder what we know about sex or what we found out about it at school, or on the internet, or round at our best friend's house. You wonder if we're having sex. You wonder if we might be gay. You tell us! Go play in the garden! <laughs> <laughs> this might be a, um, I don't know, a loaded question. Um, why did it take so long to come to the UK? Well, the, the, the Belgian version did come. Uh, it was once in Queen Elizabeth Hall during Spill Festival in about 2009. And it was also in Fierce Festival in 2008 or so. With Belgian young with, people? With the Belgian young people, yeah. Um, and then we have, done the, we have done rehearsed reading versions in, mostly in the north, um, in certainly Manchester, Leeds, Sheffield. Um, so it's not as though there was some kind of reticence to... No, no, not at all. It was, it was more, to be honest, 
uh, I mean, certainly to do a full production of it, um, I think I was just aware of two things. One was like how much work that was. It was a huge amount of work. You can see it in the in the product I mean, yeah, the, the Totally. I mean, that was such a huge amount of work. It is a huge amount of work. And the other thing is that I think the Campo are very good at negotiating the Belgium laws about um, working with children or with young people. Um, and they managed to get those kids, like, they talked to Australia. I mean, it was just, like, crazy how much stuff they were doing. Whereas in England, the whole business with how many hours they can do and the chaperoning and all this kind of stuff, it's really intimidating. And, and I, you know, I, th I think with Campo as a co-producer for the original version, it was basically working with an organisation that just took care of all of that and, and had the the, the mechanisms, you know, the to, mechanisms do that, yeah. to do so whereas that's outside of forced entertainment's usual sort of mode of operation um so it was challenging and a bit like i mean you know even now we're thinking for example can we take that show the one that we did at south bank could we do it again in another city in the uk like there's an opportunity which might materialize would be great to do it, but actually moving all those young people from London, God knows how many chaperones and other things you need. It's it's a nightmare. It's so difficult. So how like just for context sake, it's, it's a seventy minute performance, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. With seventeen young people performing what is if you picked up that script as an adult professional actor, it's it's intimidating, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah. a relentless list of facts, figures, statistics, um, opinions, perspectives. It, it is relentless as a yeah, text. Yeah, yeah. How long does it take to... And, and the other thing that I think is remarkable about it is that in comparison to other performances that I've seen where children are performing words that aren't always ostensibly their own, mm. they have a real ownership of that material, whether they are 8 or 15. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, it's not being recited. Mm. And if it is being recited, it's being recited with a significant degree of comprehension. Yeah. They really understand what they're saying. So yeah. to get them to that point, how long does it take to put that South Bank show together? We, we've had about four months. I mean, we started in late August. Um, so September, October, November and half of December. Um, but only working uh, weekends and uh, occasional sort of like slightly longer blocks in holidays and stuff, uh, which was tight. I mean, I must say on the first, you know, on the day of the premiere in London, I was a bit like, we really need another week because we need, we need to do a day of like really careful tidying up. And then we need to do a day where we do two runs. And then if we could do that, they'd be kind of on their feet so it felt dicey even doing it that fast um and belgium was probably it was a bit longer it was more like six months but then i hadn't got the script when we started so right, yeah we're so just it's a different engagement it. yeah um and then also what was good in belgium was that uh i had an assistant who i i was out there most weekends and some holiday blocks but my assistant could do wednesday evening with with them and especially young younger kids who hadn't learned their lines 
they could have like special drilling. Um, I mean, the, the, it's an interesting performance because it is it it requires an enormous amount of control and uh, focus, and it kind of never doesn't require that. It's we were we always were joking, uh, Hester Chillingworth, who co-directed with me this London version. Hester and I were always joking, you know, it's like, we need you to really concentrate on this section and then we'll have a break and now we need you to really concentrate <laughs> yeah, on this. Yeah. There's, it's nothing, there's yeah. nothing other than concentrate very hard. But I think what's, what's great about it, and it's even true for the rehearsed reading version, that um, aside from the, the content, and I think they get a lot by starting to think about childhood uh, or by this particular way of thinking about childhood, they've been thinking about it already, I'm sure, um, to have that sort of schematic or overview attempt and to think about what that is, I think that's really interesting and useful for the young people. Many parents sort of say, yeah, thanks a lot uh, for, for um, introducing them to this critique of, uh, of the apparatus that they're in. Um, but then... <laughs> I think what's also really interesting is that the business of being able to stand there in front of an audience and be looked at in that line and be confident in that and to just speak to audience and just own the situation, that's something that you just see young people like really get growing or really getting their feet firmly on the ground kids that you know in the beginning of the process might have been a bit you put them in that line and they'd be like mm. um after three months of work and helping them with strategies and stuff that they can stand in that line and look like they mean it you teach us that boys are stronger than girls that poor people are dirty that white that's um that explores with great breadth um the relationship or the language relationship between adults and children have you got particular thoughts on how you think that relationship needs to change well it's interesting how much uh of the text is about telling, uh, you know, it's like you tell us this, you tell us that. Um, it's, and how little of it is about listening. Um, so that might point to something that uh, there's an opportunity to, to listen, um, which is maybe lacking. Uh, how, do you, how would you even set up the dialogue? Uh, or the situation for that is an interesting question. It's almost like the entire pedagogical apparatus is skewed the other way. You know, it's about the transmission of information and strategies in a, in in one direction. Um, and I think it could it'd be interesting to open up something 
else. I mean, that's what we've sort of, we've been running uh, in Sheffield this weekly performance club um, for young people, which Hester's been leading. Um, it's called Artbreakers, which is a sort of evening drama club for young people, um, which Hester uh, Chillingworth has been running. Uh, and the idea of that is that it's, you know, it's a sort of, uh, yeah, it's an art workshop um, based around performance, but really looking at things like durational performance or repetition or some of the, you know, the things that would interest uh, forced entertainment, but using those as a way to open up dialogue and experiences for young people rather than the sort of, okay, we're going to do a pantomime uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, thing, which, you know, I think that can be great for, for young people. Um, but I think all the time that my uh, youngest uh, child was going to a Saturday morning drama club, which was, you know, absolutely the epitome of, uh, you know, Amdram. Uh, he loved it. And I was always like, you know, what, what is that? Um, I was always thinking, wouldn't it be cool if there was something else that, that young people could go to mm. that just tried to open up a different kind of space for them? There's something about uh, duration, I think, that um, kids are drawn... Duration and repetition, particularly. I remember as a kid watching the same films over and over again in a way that I would never do as an adult. Yes, yeah. Maybe because time is... You have a different relationship with time as a young person... Mm-hmm. And it, it, I don't want to say it's you, the perspective is that it's infinite, but perhaps, perhaps that isn't. There isn't such a preoccupation with time. You can get lost in things with yeah. greater ease, yeah. Because maybe you're not projecting forward. It seems a valuable um, use of your time to do the same thing over and over again. As a yeah, kid. yeah, I think that's true, and I think um, as well. You know, one of the things you know, in the way that, that we're socialised, is we're sort of taught um, what are appropriate modes and frames of attention, you know. So you, you basically learn that. To the, and also you, you, you are taught what are ways in which meaning is made or not made, you know. And I think it's actually a lot... We, we know as, as artists, we know that that's all a lot more broad. Um, but in fact, what happens is it's sort of taught, taught out of you, mm. is your capacity to engage with things in those different sorts of ways. So I think it's interesting to think what, what could a, a relationship with young people as a, I mean, as a parent or as, a, as an educator or whatever, as an artist, what could it be that was trying to unpack and, and expand rather than close down and, uh, and, and limit. I got really into um, slow tele- television. Have you heard about this? Mm-hmm. When this came out? Yeah. Um, the canal boat that you could watch for hours on end. And then there was a Yorkshire bus tour that you okay. could watch. Yeah, yeah. But my engagement with it was purely... Um, ideas driven so I could I could watch it for about 20 minutes 
and then we'd have to turn it off and do something. <laughs> so, so like the premise of slowing down time, I'm really drawn to. The actuality of it, I can't seem to yeah, yeah. recalibrate my own brain to, to be able to do. I tried to make a show with a group of um, students about slowness mm. once, and it lasted all of two weeks mm -hmm. before they became they, they took it in a different direction. Yeah, but yeah. I was really hoping I could do a really slow show, but it just never. I could never get it to stick. And even when you're trying to convince people that it, what was being made was really, really good, you know, really yeah. engaging, captivating, yeah. they just thought it was fucking boring. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We had that a little bit with, um, this was a funny thing working on The Night Follows Day. Like, so for example, this version, uh, even like a month into the process, you would have kids say things like, so like, will we be doing it, you know, with you know with like props and stuff uh or like when when will we you know do it like you know, basically when we do it properly <laughs> <laughs> this is what you're doing that that is what this we're is doing properly, you know, yeah, this yeah. is properly and i think in the end of course they they totally understood that um and and really could understand it as a dramatic performative kind of thing but there's some sort of well, I think it's asking a lot. I mean, actually, you know, many uh, adult actors, if you would say, you just got to stand there like that. Um, that's it. You know, uh, they would they would panic because they're used to having certain other kinds of things to to lean on. Um, nothing to hide behind. Because I presume the, the moment that that show happens and it elicits a response and it works on its own terms the young people totally, I'm sure the majority of them understand it far sooner than that, but that must crystallise in that moment where uh, you have a bit of an epiphany moment of, oh, this also works as theatre. Yeah, yeah. And I have this, I've got a question about, um, the, I was reading a Guardian article on The Night Follows Day on the way up here, and I don't know how you'll feel about this, but they described Force Entertainment and your good self as renowned befuddlers <laughs> which I think is quite charming but also there is something I suppose disorienting what, one of the things that I've always really enjoyed about your work is and the work of Force and Entertainment is that there is a an accessibility to it and there's almost quite a British sense of humour or sensibility to a lot of it mm. um but now, having come so far the other way in terms of having procured a contemporary theatre degree, I don't know how, amongst the trees I am, to be able to see the accessibility um, in the work. Mm. And whether how long it takes for young people to orient themselves within it, and indeed how long it perhaps takes audiences to adjust to the idea that they're not seeing children in a nativity or you know any of the, the theatrical context that we're used to seeing them in yeah I mean I think uh, I mean there's definitely something with that night follows day in, in regards when when it was first with the audience and then yeah totally I think the young people then suddenly have this like understanding of yeah, oh my God, they're laughing, or like, oh, they've gone really quiet, or, you know, they can feel what it's doing, and that's brilliant. And, and then then they had to be careful not to, like, over-enjoy over, over -enjoy that. Mm. So 
like the funnier things are funnier if they're not played for laughs. Um, and certain people, you know, as performers, get a sense that they're they're being the amusing character now. So then you have to kind of not temper that slightly, temper it yeah. down. Yeah, but they they were it was very useful for them, I think, to to get a sense of how it worked in front of people. And then of course they make different kinds of adjustments. You tell us that thinking about gender has changed, but you're not exactly sure how. <laughs> I think that piece in particular uh, is super accessible um, and uh, and and yet can be you know formally quite challenging and in terms of what it's prepared to do with you as an audience and the journey it's prepared to take you on, it can be quite pushy. But I think maybe because the content is really clear um, and it's a content that if you've decided to go and see that performance, you've probably got some interest in it. You know, I mean, I, I, but the thing is, everybody's been a child. So even if you haven't got any kids, you know, everybody was one. So everybody has that experience to reflect on and, and to find it reflected in the piece or to find it not reflected and to think about why it isn't. Um, so I think it, it does it does open to people. I think Force Dance work more broadly, rare, relatively rarely does it have such an obvious like content hook. Mm. So the experience we tend to present to people is, is befuddling, but it's also befuddling on the level of like, what is it about, if you like? Mm. Whereas, and I think often what what a piece of ours is about. Some not always, but often it's hidden. I mean, even from us, it's hidden. So I think it's more where where you can declare the content explicitly, which you can in in that Nightfaller's Day. Then it's a slightly easier ride. I think where you don't declare content um, explicitly life is slightly harder and it takes people it's easier for people to just panic and say oh, i don't even know what this is about you know um something like real magic which we toured uh made a couple of years ago which we're still touring um is you know i think it's really clear i think it's a really political piece it's very much of this moment but for some people it's like what the hell is that even you know like you can't even see what it what it is mm. And I think I think with that Nightfaller's Day, um, if people resist it, um, it's usually there's a sort of strand of criticism of it, which is that um, it it uh, it forces that kind of um, regimented behaviour onto the young people, um, and that they are parroting. Um, and that they're not free. Um, There's a real, to me, completely infuriating level of criticism. It's, it's not most, you know, mostly the reactions that piece are very positive. There's a little niggly corner of people who basically don't like that the children are regimented and want that when they see children, they want to see them being free. And I'm like, well, yeah, okay, <laughs> fine, but. That's not what this piece is about. I mean, this piece is about a machinery yeah. in which these young people are caught. I mean, 
yes. all free and everywhere in chains. This yes. is Rousseau's romantic yeah. child. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Over. I mean, yeah, fine, but no, I don't really. Yeah, I don't. Really and the piece it. is really self-reflexive in that regard. It's got lines in it about actors parroting yeah. the lines of the author and that kind of stuff. Yeah. You give us words to memorize. You arrange us. You make us stand in lines. You tell us that an actor is only a parrot speaking words they cannot understand. That people must do as they are told. That people are puppets. That people are sheep. That children don't have minds of their own. And it's very clear, I think, well, I would presume, presume, that a lot of the ideas in that show have been verbatim lines lifted from yeah yeah lots people. lots of it came from from either the young people that we worked with originally or when we were reworking it we did you know workshop sessions where we were really trying to find you know shifts in the material and 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 new and new things do you feel that weight of i mean one of the th- I probably discovered your work as an undergraduate theatre student, probably initially by reading certain fragments and then accruing um, some theatre visits over the years Mm -hmm. and some DVD watchings and Mm -hmm. whatever else. Um, But Forced Entertainment and you are darlings of the university departments in this country. And it seems to be increasingly also... um, on BTEC courses, I saw a post recently, someone was sharing some educational resources in a group for college tutors um, on forced entertainment. And a lot of the response was really positive and someone had just taken a group of students to see Real Magic. Uh And that was their, I just didn't, this one didn't didn't do it you know it was I didn't get it the kids didn't get it we found it Mm, mm. complicated but there seemed to be no engagement with interpretation either there wasn't that seemingly there wasn't an effort to um surmount that uh Mm, affront mm. on their sensibilities so I wonder whether it must be double-edged that relationship being lauded then also comes with this capacity to well everyone says I should like it so I won't. Yeah. <laughs> or I'm not going to engage with that because it's too esoteric or it's too obscure or I just don't want to. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think we've sort of long, apparently in, in the UK, had a job of sort of pissing off and uh, dividing the first year students. You know, it's like a, almost a sort of ritual uh to bring a, a, a party of 30 or so young people from some uh, one undergraduate course or another to see their forced entertainment show, after which <clears throat> many will be horrified. Um, a few will be uh, s- sort of sticking out for it and a few will be sitting on the fence. And that seems to have been going on for a very long time. Um, I think it's a curious position. One curious thing is, I suppose, that... that mostly we would be a, a company that would be uh, introduced to young people, uh, students, by their teachers. You know, uh, they would be recommended to come to this and so on. So it's got a sort of uh, 
we're sort of owned institutionally in that way. Whereas, you know, I think the work that we were excited about when we were students was stuff that we felt like we'd found it ourselves. Who got you excited then when you were? Um, first I mean, mostly Impact, um, which is now uh, Pete Brooks, who's mm. doing Imitating the Dog with Andrew Quick, who's mm. a colleague of mine at Lancaster. Um, uh, that was the work that we saw that most excited us and in a way made us want to do what we were doing. Um, and we saw a lot uh, of stuff at that time. Um, mostly people coming out of experimental theatre, um, a lot of what was at the time, you know, visual theatre, physical theatre. I mean, it was all those attempts to sort of uh, yeah, escape the literary sort of uh, business, really, the, the canon and writing. Because you were at Exeter when you yeah, were originally... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we met when we were studying there and we saw a bunch of stuff there when we were students. That's one of the... Um, I mean, the longevity of the company is at 34 years now. Yeah, yeah. I think someone... I think, again, this was a, uh, in the Guardian article. As a company that are 34 years old, and I can't remember what the quote was specifically, but something like, and should have children of their own. <laughs> like some kind of implication that they were being a bit naughty because they don't have children. But you do, don't you? I think... Uh... Most of the, um, at least half the company have kids. Yeah. Um, but I mean... When, there was when, almost like a, an old, and, old enough to know better uh, type uh, meant. But it wasn't, a, the article was very complimentary, but this yeah. one line sort of stuck out as oh, okay. a... I don't remember that. Yeah. I mean, when, when we made, when I made the first version of uh, Nightfall as Day, and the, the age range of the cast is 8 to 14, and my two kids were 8 and 14. Oh, right. At the time, so... Um, you know, I, I was definitely thinking about what I, you know, what one finds oneself doing as a parent, um, and also thinking about my own childhood as well as, you know, working with the, the young people in Belgium, but it was definitely the right moment for me to be doing it because I was sort of in a way in the middle of that whole, uh, machinery as a, as a participant. <laughs> <laughs> we leave the lights on in the morning. We leave the door open. Just a crack. You come back in five minutes just to check that we've fallen asleep. You tell us stories about kids who are really brave and kids who are really amazing and kids who are really inventive. You tell us stories about kids who are strong. Most people tend to think about that show as if it's about parenting, which it, it kind of is in one way. But I also think that it's about the way that the culture more broadly and the adult world, whether that's teachers or neighbours or um, even media adult uh, stuff, sort of contributes to, to what that category of childhood is. It's not, it's not only about about the family, I think that there's many more 
ways in which the adult world is sort of gridding the experience of young people. You tell us to relax. You tell us to calm down. You tell us not to rush. Not to be in such a hurry. You tell us to knuckle down. You tell us to smarten up. You tell us to snap out of it. You tell us not to be so stupid. You Presumably there's a training, but also, is there an audition process as well? And do you, and <coughs> yeah. how do you pick the 17 young people that are... Yeah, well, we did, we did audition. We, we saw about 100-and-something uh, young people in London, and then when we chose those 17. And it was sort of... I mean, the, the, the text uh, has a kind of... There's a few people who you need to rely on for certain kinds of things... Um, energy wise so there's a little bit of a sense of it's not like they're characters but, but it's like you need somebody who's got a bit of that or a bit of that um, and also it needs to be a range of ages so between 8 and 14 you need some older kids, you need some younger ones um, we were determined that it would be racially diverse um, there didn't seem to be any excuse for it not being um, we're just really you know, desirous of, that it will be not a, a, a group of white sort of theatre kids. I was wowed by the number of second languages that were being spoken on the stage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was that was something that came out of the rehearsal process. Uh, Just well, incidentally discovered. <laughs> yes, I mean, really, because um, uh, Hester did an exercise with them one day as a sort of, uh, you know, little gift within the general... Uh, get back to work and stand in a line <laughs> um, which was that they could all have one minute and do whatever they wanted in that one minute watched by the rest of the group um, and uh, one of the performers Joelle waited until last and she was all the time saying oh no, no I'll go in a minute I'll go in a minute so she went last and, and then she went up and she spoke uh, in Japanese for a minute and everybody I mean or us included, were like, because oh. <laughs> we just really had no idea that that was uh, hiding there. Um, and uh, that prompted then a conversation about second languages, and there were many, and uh, we decided to try to find a place to put that in. So that was important. And then the other thing, really, the casting, was that we had already resolved that we, we would have a couple of uh, BSL speakers as part of the piece. So that was like a major undertaking. We found Alex and George who were, they're deaf and they're, they're BSL speakers. So integrating them into the piece was like a, a kind of thing that we knew we would want to do from the very beginning. Um, and that was again, like an, an enormous amount of uh, work for them and for for the whole organisation around it, translation and um, support that they needed, we needed, in order to be able to, you know, communicate with them as much as they needed to communicate with us. I uh, actually found that a quite an integral part of the performance. Yeah. I know that was new for the South Bank yeah. Centre, um, but the the palette 
scenographically the palette's quite limited you know it's yeah. lots of regimented lines and yeah. it's various different shapes choreographically but it's there's not it, the text is the central component of the performance and to have it illustrated or animated in a visual way in tandem for much of it yeah i found really quite compelling really fascinating it, yeah yeah it was great it was really i mean very 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 happy that that we did that and that we had alex and george with us for that piece it really added a lot um and it i mean as it was a learning experience in terms of all you know kind of ridiculous assumptions that you have as somebody like i have not really experienced working with deaf uh, people before so it was like oh okay yeah of course you can't hear when the other guys have said their line yeah so right. not so how do you how would you know um oh we have to have a whole queuing system right okay so i'm going to put a monitor here and or if somebody taps, you can feel that, right? Uh, so we'll tap one, two, three on the floor, and that will be just the vibration will be enough to, to cue you to come in in time with everybody else. Just brilliant. I mean, just I mean, everyday pragmatic things. But actually, if you're a, a, not part of that conversation on a, on a day-to-day basis, it's it's new. And so we learned a lot from that. It was, it was very nice to have them there. So will there be another piece where you work with children? I want to do one. Um, and the thing that I've been thinking about, which is it plays to the kind of conversations that we were having earlier. Um, I, Because so much of the night follows day, I mean, whatever its desires are politically or, um, you know, to subvert and to question the, the structure it does involve this kind of uh, re-performing of, of the tyranny um, because they all have to behave and they all have to do this and they all have to do that. So I'm kind of curious to make something where um, all the kind of other energies that that they have, young people, physically, it's really extraordinary how they are. Like, so much energy and so unfocused and then really focused and... I kind of th- would really like to make something where the starting point is more about, so rather than the starting point being the school photograph, uh, the starting point being the, the sort of unsupervised the playground, classroom or yeah. playground or, or something that's just a little bit more like, you know, where are we going and what 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 is this energy that's not quite ours um, as adults? to go into a process with that group of young people having no clue what we would do and just say I'm going to watch you and work with you and let's see I mean that sounds very difficult to me so I want to go in with an idea and I did go in with an idea whereas I'm sort of more inclined to go in with an idea to listen and and just see it also reflects a little bit the movement that's gone on in in Forced Dent's work 
Um, I mean, the new piece that we've just made after Real Magic, just called Out of Order, um, it doesn't have any spoken text in it. Um, um, uh, it's very, very physical, very uh, exhausting. And uh, they don't actually look at the audience, uh, maybe a little bit in the very, very end. So it's kind of really like another appearing into another world. So I kind of feel a little bit like with the young people that there's some connection there to the movement that's going on in the Force Dents work. That we spent a lot of time in a line at the front of the stage saying this and that. And maybe there's an interest now to do something that's more around energy and behaviour and so on. Now, Tim's a final question and you'll wince at this one, um, because we both probably teach a lot of young people. Have you got some advice, some sage um, <laughs> words for anyone setting out to make their own performance work after 34 years of experience? I mean, I think the, the only thing you <laughs> no. can do is do it. You can, only can do it. Um, you know, find the contacts where you can do stuff, find the people that you can do stuff with and start start doing it even if that's you know you've got day jobs and you just set up a Saturday evening weirdo performance night in a bar or something whatever it is find the ways to hook up with people and do things because I don't think you you learn anything unless you're making um, and in a sense experimenting and being with other people and trying stuff and putting it out there it's not the only way you can really do anything so I would say just do it basically and I would say knock on doors of institutions um, whether that's knock on forced entertainment's door or um, the local theatre or the local uni or wherever it is Actually, a lot of the time, those institutions are, their job is to help you. I mean, they, they might not express it like that in public, but it actually is. And their job is to find the people who are going to make the new work. They, ha they have to do that. So I would inveigle myself into their, uh, onto their list of people they need to be talking to. You know? I think make yourself visible you know and it's easy to say maybe but I think just do it really there's no other way just do it <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much Tim you're welcome and they say never meet your heroes nonsense so thanks for staying with us until the end if you're interested in hearing more of these kinds of chats in the future then please do subscribe or leave comments about the podcast via Twitter at Bootworks or forward slash Bootworks if you're a Facebooker. If you have a suggestion of who I should talk to next, then maybe drop me an email on james at bootworkstheatre.co.uk. Until next time, thanks for being with us. Bootworks. Theatre. Talkshop. Bootworks Theatre Talkshop.